0: Hello and good evening everyone and welcome and thank you for joining in on another segment of In Conversation with Dr. Gary. I went on a little hiatus there for a little while, Uh, had knee surgery on my right knee due to a torn meniscus, Um, but the time did not go completely wasted. Uh, I was definitely uh, before the Lord and just uh, figuring out new strategies and what we can do to um, make the podcast more interesting. Uh, for our listeners. And so tonight I wanted to share something with you in a monologue experience uh, and just talking to you about some of the things that are on my mind and in my heart. Uh, and one of them basically is, is being the church and my relationship uh, with God, my Lord and Savior. Uh, there are some concerns that I have uh, with the church and I just want to share them uh, with you tonight. And, and the one of the biggest one is diversity and, and segregation in the church. You see all of the social reform that's going on in the world today, <clears throat> that um, uh, include our, our law enforcement, um, that includes our, you know our healthcare workers, and all of these things with the pandemic that's going on. Um, but we wanted to t- I wanted to talk to you today about uh, the diversity and how um, things seems to still yet be segregated in the church. And when it comes to the church, I realize and I see for myself that African Americans actually look. For and need racial diversity Um, and I believe it's because um, cultural strengthening appeals highly um, to a race conscious person who may ultimately move toward progression of um, what I call um, ethnic transcendence and maybe congregational uh, integration. Um, During my doctoral research um, um, I found that um, Gerardo Marty who is a author um, and a professor in sociology at David Davidson College, forgive me, um, he indicated that uh, recent scholarships asserts that members of racial groups uh, can transcend their ethnic differences, but other research asserts that ethno-racial identities must be reinforced in order to participate in mutual, multicultural churches. And so when we talk about the transcension, uh, it means people that, um, that can rise above their actual differences. And so, but ethno-ratio, um, this is necessarily necessary as, it's talking about certain groups such as um, North Africans and, um, and Arabs uh, who are there counted as white in the U.S. Census, but believe me, their daily experiences are not of those of white Americans. And so there are, um, some controversial issues in regards to that diversity. And so when we talk about that, um, we talk about ethnic transcendence and what that is, is basically the ethnic experience that is beyond, um, the norm. And it occurs basically when an individual, um, basically, um, uh, adopts a, a shared identity, which is um, basically based on a uniquely or congregational understanding of what it means uh, to be what I believe, I uh, quote, a properly religious person. And what that is, um, is someone who is a proper Christian or a proper Jew a proper Muslim or uh proper buddhists and so in regards to that religious racial integration uh, of african-americans into diverse churches i also as an african-american man and church leader i can relate and and confidently say that um marty's observation of ethnic transcendence is basically on point and so um i think about Um, exactly what he's saying uh, and how it affects us. And I realized that also over a period of time, um, individuals' um, participation in in the church uh, bring out other value aspects of their personal identity. And ultimately, uh, a shared identity in regards to religion becomes more important than their disparate racial identities. And so although a few African-Americans in the church will find uh, affinities based on my, you know their theologies and their age, uh, they acknowledges or affirms uh, a, a black racial identity. And so, and the few younger blacks in the church, and we have very few, uh, report that uh, either rejecting their parents and grandparents' African-American expressions or Spirituality or growing up immersed in white dominant schools and neighborhoods are, are an issue with them. And so we look at the ethnic reinforcement um, of that group because uh, you think about the unity and the distinctiveness um, by emphasizing the traits that set its members apart from others rather than what, you know, what we commonly share uh, with them. So I asked the question, um, to you is that do African Americans remember racially specific characteristics as a principal base of communication, and not doubtful or or consider their racially specific um, specificness, or if that's a word, uh, specificity, <laughs> in order to contribute um, in a multicultural community of faiths? And so, honestly, I believe that we'd be fooling ourselves if we believe that the problem of the color line does not exist um, in the church. And so the primary argument um, that I make is is that uh, I believe interracial churches must, and I mean absolutely must uh, make a clear and um, stated and institutional commitment to racial equality, um, racial equity, um, and and create structures that will ensure um, that equity. Man. So, um, I also, uh, in my research, I, I realized, um, that there was also, um, uh, a 19th century, um, philosopher, um, by the name of, um, uh, Ralph Emerson and, um, Ralph Emerson was a, um, philosopher, an abolitionist, uh, but he was also seen, um, as a champion, um, of individualism. And what he did, he, he primarily argued that, um, that the racial churches uh, had to um, make a clearly stated institutional commitment to racial equity and, and, and create structures to ensure that, that the equity in that religious community needed to accentuate um, the distinctive racial experience of African Americans and create hospitable environments that would explicitly welcome and incorporate them, amen. And so I, I think about um, when we relate this, I think about um, uh, the what it says in the Holy Bible, um, Genesis uh, chapter one, uh, verse two, where it said uh, in the beginning, God created uh, the heaven and the earth and the earth was without form and void and, and darkness was upon the face of the earth and the spirit of God moved upon the face uh, of the earth, Uh, and he instantly began distributing this uh, mass into uh, counterparts. And so what God did is he divided day from night. He divided land from sea, he he divided plants from the animals, animals from the humans, and male humans from female humans. And so, however though, uh, God's um, creative vision Um, It doesn't stop with division. It also includes unity. Amen. And so the strongest illustration of this is gender. And so while God created man and woman different, he created both in his image. And so God is envisioning that these opposites would relate to each other in peace and in harmony. And so this is the principle of unity and diversity. And so when I think about that, I, um, I'm reminded that the Hebrew word, the Hebrew word that um, captures real diversity, coming together in, in, in harmonious unity, is the word shalom. And so what shalom means is peace, well-being and, and joy, amen. So in shalom happens only when all things are rightly ordered under God's leadership and the hope for peace on earth is found primarily where? It's found in the kingdom. Because shalom results from God's love and kingship over all things, over everything. And so the principle of unity and diversity is going to reflect the inner life the the of the triune God, the Trinity, God's creational vision, which is a world that is amazingly diverse yet integrated in peace-filled relationships. Um, essentially, is going to reflect the Holy Trinity and the Triune God is diverse, and that means He's three persons, but He's unified, meaning He's one God. Uh, and so, the the highest earthly expression of quote the unity and diversity is regarding biblical marriage. Amen. And we, we think about uh, what um, Ephesians um, 5, uh, 21 and 25 says about that. And when we talk about biblical marriages, the Bible even tells us in Ephesians 5, 21 and 25, to submit one another uh, out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husband as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of of the church, his body of which he is the savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives submit to their husbands in everything. Husband, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So that is important. That's why marriage is such a stunning diversity between man and woman, merged in the captivating unity of one flesh. Amen. And so I'm also reminded in the Bible in the Holy Scriptures of what it says in Genesis uh, 2 and 24 that this, this, th- that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united, in that word it says united in his wife and they become one flesh, amen. And so that is that, that diversity coming together as as one and so as you see and as you hear diversity has extensive implications at this moment uh in our history particularly in the 21st century church and we talk about um, diversity and regarding race gender and ethnicity age and disability class and and geographic identities. Um, And we find that this is deeply, deeply affecting um, the faithful Christian living and Inspirations Effective Assignments and even with the evangelistic outreach. And so the challenge and discomfort of um, present day events is just completely indisputable. And and a biblically, and I mean a biblically informed and pastorally sense of response, is absolutely necessary and so grossly needed. And so we look at a profound and and ethical, unshakable commitment to God's mission, um, to influence every tribe, every tongue. Um, We look at a spirit-led, Bible-informed effort to actually live life as, quote, the new com- the new humanity uh, is going to make an enormous difference in our world. Uh, and so God is going to convert us, and as an outcome, he's going to include us in the transformation of the individual person we love, the communities we live in, the land um, we call home. And the world Christ died to save, amen. And so this is going to be a united movement, which is fixated on the gospel, the word, and with hopeful actions toward what we talked about earlier, shalom, amen. That peace that transcends all understanding. And even if slow and uncertain at times, we're definitely going to help bring God's kingdom uh, to his self-actualization by God's grace, uh, we're going to take that path, amen and so um, the Bible also talks about building uh, an intergenerational church where all walks of life uh, where we are uh, united in love um, and harmony, amen, and so uh, I look, I'm reminded of what the Holy Bible says in Ephesians uh, 4 uh, and 13 um, so, Christ Himself gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the pastors and the teachers to equip His people for work of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the church and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Amen. And so. Uh, we look at um, the early church, an um, early Jerusalem church uh, had all things in common. The Antioch church was the first church to send out missionaries. Um, and some churches obviously uh, met in homes and while others seemed to gather in public buildings and uh, various other places, um, some were commended for um, their spiritual growth and vitality while others were criticized uh, for their carnality and their lack of growth. Yet each church, um, was able to produce, um, some spiritual mature, um, believers. Amen. And so when we talk about development and, and maturity, we have to understand there is a time in our lives when we were immature or are immature uh, and then we look at the various ministries uh, in the church. And so when I think of that, I think of how the the evolution of, of a growth, spiritual growth, particularly in the children's ministry in the church. And, and, and we know that most Christians, most young people in the church um, came to Christ as children. I know I did. Uh, I was a drug baby my mother drugged me to church every sunday every tuesday night every friday night uh, she took me to church <laughs> and like my brothers and i uh we grew up um, you know and my mother was an unleavenly it was an unleavenly yoke know, home but my mother took us to church and we were led by her every week uh and but the f- sad thing is one of the highest percentages of those accepting christ uh, did so through uh a church's children's ministry amen Uh, And so this makes leadership in the church ministry significant, extremely important um, to the growth and to the stability of the church. And so church leaders and parents, uh, we should be synchronizing our efforts. We should be coordinating our efforts to fuel wonder and discovery and, and and passion uh, to our next generation. Amen. And so this filters, Smoothly into their youth ministry, and, and as they prepare to and to grow uh, and be a part of what's happening in the church, and we see many uh, youth ministers as having, uh, particularly these ministries, as an educational. They see it as a development purpose, enabling our young people uh, to meet with each other, to to gather amongst their peers, socialize, and become part of the church and the community in which they worship and live. You know, um, enabling young peoples to, to gradually move from adolescence to adulthood and, and concerned with uh, nurturing and bringing them up in their personal growth and, and, and offering them various activities that will help prepare them uh, for the various transitions that lie ahead. And that's important for us because uh, there's one world within the walls of the building of the church, but there's another world outside of them. And they have to be effectively equipped uh, starting as young children because youth ministry is so very vital to helping teens, particularly teens integrate into that larger intergenerational community of the church uh, and youth ministry uh, what it really does, it kind of resists the status quo, um, helping the church stay relevant. Uh, so, youth ministry is basically focused on inviting those who are not already a part of the church into the deeper, uh, more intense narrative of God's plan. And so, we think about how youth ministry reminds us that the church is teens are not to be marginalized members of the church, but they should be considered co-creators. They should be considered um, co-conspirators in the divine work of the church. Uh, Youth ministry helps the church uh, focus on the way of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, which goes far beyond tradition, dogma, uh, and, and the work at hand. Amen. And so when we are asked uh, what has helped the church grow? Uh, we know that it does not take even um, the issues that we would think of. It. Young people are attempting to learn faithfulness uh, so quickly in a rapidly changing. I should I call it a post-Christian culture, where they're rethinking the institution, like church. That we're talking about that media life, the the omnipresence and and the onslaught of information and the bombarding. Um, of the competing worldviews that they're being um, um, shown uh, as well as the greater resistance uh, to the gospel among their peers. It makes it so much harder for young people to find meaning in a complex culture. And so there, there may even be a certain common denominator within some churches that may lead to mass departures of young people, especially following after graduation from high school. Amen. And so, um, with that being from high school, we, they begin to move and merge into their young adult lives. And as you can imagine, the magnitude of this ministry, um, the most disengaged generation from the church in modern history, um, comes with a whole lot of challenges. Um, and so if you've ever worked in ministry, from anyone from the ages of 18 to like 30 years of age for any period of time, I'm sure you've experienced um, some challenges and so, but before we begin to un- unpack um, some of the challenges that we've experienced, it's important to say that, to note that the context of our young adult ministry as well, are going to have a significant impact uh, on the types and of the agreed degrees of challenges that we're going to face. And so I just wanted to present today or tonight um, just four basic foundational um, challenges which are specific to me that um, that our young adult ministries uh, face. And, and the first one is is change. Um, the challenge of change is, is typically um, is typically best corrected when when a young adult or particularly someone of their age who can be considered uh, a ministry, whether a minister rather, uh, who's at the college level, he can step in to that student ministry and begin um, to introduce um, to the young ministry um, what's coming next in their lives um, and what, what these building blocks are going to look like for them through the word and, and while they're yet serving uh, God. Um, the second one is commitment. Uh, young adults, they, they must begin to see this as a, a life journey with God's people rather than just uh, a season of, of participating um, in, in doing and conducting some activities. You know, young, young adults need to see opportunity uh, for meaningful participation in the local church rather than just babysitting and, and doing this um, insignificant low-level support for a couple of ministries, amen. Um, and then thirdly, commuters. Um, I live in a college town uh, where a lot of our um, young adults uh, visit churches um, and just trying to, even though they're away from home, um, this is also an additional challenge for particularly those ministering to young adults uh, and how it relates, uh, especially to those serving college age young adults. This challenge is found in, in, in the rising amount of students that we have that are commuting uh, and those holding out on college courses in order to work uh, for reasons of cost. You know, tuition, they have things to do and they don't care if it's Sunday Um, They don't know anything about church and they can probably care less at this time um, because their focus is school. And so this is a real struggle for those serving this portion of the young adult uh, community in ministry, men. And then finally, um, I I felt, you know, one of the most critical ones was culture. Uh, Church must, by all means necessary, overcome this challenge because by coming to grips with the cultural norms, and ministering to young adults in a way that considers this reality is highly critical and important. This means our young adult ministries are going to face challenges of gauging new people. Um, They're gonna be asked questions of those um, who have been hurt uh, by the church in their past um, and communicating with young adults who have no biblical context for the church um, no biblical context for the Bible study or even corporate worship together, um, the language of the church, but must be, um, it must be connected. It must be empathetic, um, to this, this growing, rapidly growing group of young adults who are completely and totally unchurched or to the very least the church for lack of a better term. Amen. And so, um, I think back again on um, um, a writing by an author, um, Donald Miller, um, during my doctoral research, and he, he, he made a comment where he said that there's a, there's a, a cultural shift um, that, that young, adult, young adults are, are facing um, in today's church and, and that the young adult generation has faced a series of, um, of cultural shifts that have had a considerable influence on their lives. And these shifts have changed the landscape of of an entire generation. And it's important for the church to understand them completely. And so um, when, we, when we look back over the, how things have transcended and how things are evolving um, with diversity and segregation, we realize that most people get involved in the church, and particularly in the local church, simply to develop relationships, to to grow spiritually, and and participate in the missions um, of the organization, as indicated. Um, but a church survey can also help this involvement. Church members benefit from the opportunities they are given. Um, church benefits through member financial supports and tithes and offerings and free labor um, to fulfill this mission you know church is completely voluntary you know but if we come together unified uh as one body uh, if this is done well we all win and it's a win-win situation for everybody um but you know pressure uh, rises when when differences when either parties uh since their needs are not being met you know church leadership um, can become really frustrated with, with having to deal with such high-maintenance members, you know, um, you know, just want to do things their way and, you know, can't um, commit to biblical aspects. You can't commit to the biblical way of living, who seem to ask for more than they're willing to contribute, you know. Um, you know, they're individuals. Uh, who can become very, very frustrated when they decide that the church uh, is not meeting their fundamental spiritual needs. And so the interesting dynamics of the church is that struggle is often evaded. Um, Christians want to be perceived as caring. They want to be perceived as loving and compassionate. Uh, And this kind of, you know, it results in the issues not being resolved. And so the other interesting dynamic is that the leadership is often ignorant of members frustration because there is not a there's not a connection there's no communication Um, each level of ministry uh, is not connecting uh, with each other's and so this can unfortunately result in unresolved issues um, and members being having meeting too many shortcomings Um, and so when we ask feedback uh, for one from one another uh, is one way that we're able to control the perception on how well the church is meeting individual needs. Uh, and so I just wanted to share that with you this evening. Just wanted to talk about um, what my concerns are in regards to diversity and segregation. And so if um, if you have any comments, please feel free um, to um, write me um, and, and connect with me on uh, my email, uh, which is garmar1024 at gmail.com. Um, if you'd like to just check out the podcast and any future um, episodes or any past episodes, um, my URL is anchor.fm backslash Gary Neil 13. Again, that's anchor.fm backslash Gary dash neil 13 and i thank you for joining me this evening i hope the segment uh, was enlightening and encouraging uh, and inspiring um, to you and to connect with your your church your church leadership and your community god bless you and until next time have a great evening